October 5th, 2003. That is the last time the Browns beat Pittsburgh at Heinz Field. I had just started high school. My good friend LeBron James was just a few weeks away from making his NBA debut in Sacramento against the Kings on national television. And Apple officially launched something called iTunes that year that went on, I guess, to be somewhat successful. I don't know. I haven't really heard of it. 17 years later, almost to the date itself, the Browns find themselves not only in prime position to break their 16-game road-losing streak against the Steelers, but to place themselves at the top of the AFC North. A win would put the Browns at 5-1, and one, and, depending on how the Ravens game goes against Philly this weekend, alone in first place. The Browns currently have a 73% chance of making the playoffs per 538, and a win over the Steelers would give that number a significant boost, to the point where their first playoff appearance since 2002 is almost a lock. So, yeah, a Browns-Steelers matchup with both division supremacy and playoff implications is the best kind of Browns-Steelers matchup. What each team does well makes this a football fan's dream. The Browns have a killer offensive line. The Steelers boast the best defensive line in the NFL. The Steelers regularly play man-to-man defense, and pretty well, I might add. Well, the Browns have the wide receivers to beat it. Ben Roethlisberger gets rid of the ball faster than any quarterback in the NFL. And Miles Garrett is going to be racing to get there first. So what more could you ask for in a Steelers week? And with Romo and Nance on the call to boot... Buckle up, Browns fans. It's going to be a good one. I'm Jordan Zern. This is The Rebuild. Hello, everyone, and welcome into a Steelers Week edition of The Rebuild Podcast. I am your host, as always, Jordan Zerm. You can find me on Twitter, at Cleve Zerm. And we are closing in on just over 24 hours until the Browns and Steelers kick off this Sunday at Heinz Field in what is probably one of the best matchups, if not the best matchup, of the weekend. I guess there's Bucks and Green Bay, which is another great game with Rodgers versus Brady. But in terms of, like I said in the intro, in terms of playoff implications, in terms of the AFC North division leader, like this game has a ton of implications. And it is kind of crazy to think about how good the AFC North has been this year, a little bit to the Browns' detriment. But you've got the Ravens at 4-1, and you've got the Browns at 4-1, and and you've got the Steelers at 4-0. and As you remember, they had to uh, miss a game, miss a week uh, because of some COVID stuff going on. So they've only played four games. Uh, they had sort of a unofficial bye a couple weeks ago. Uh, they got back and they beat... The Eagles last week kind of narrowly beat the Eagles, let the, a bad Eagles team put up a, a good amount of points on them uh, on a defense that's been really, really good for, for most of the season. So this Brown-Steelers matchup is really, really fascinating for a lot of reasons. I briefly touched on some of them in the intro, but that's really what this whole podcast today is going to be about. It's going to be about breaking down the matchups that make this game so salivating like just not even just for Browns and Steelers fans not even because of the rivalry or or whatever it may be but for like just football fans in general this game's going to be really really good um because the two teams are almost it's like the opposite of mirror images of each other what one team does well on one side of the ball the other team seems like it does really really well on the other side of the ball so stuff the Browns do well on offense the Steelers have sort of the defensive capabilities to combat that and then what the Steelers do well on offense, the Browns on defense have some tools to combat against that. It's really about as sort of even a matchup as I can remember the Browns-Steelers having. A lot of times, obviously, it it falls and leans pretty heavily towards the Steelers. But this time, it's like just going to be two sort of powerhouses kind of just 
getting down in their stance and putting their helmets together and seeing who can push the other one over. So I think it's going to be really, really exciting from both a local and national perspective. You've already seen a lot of sort of national people talking about this matchup. And it's really, this is one of the funner games to dive into the numbers on and look at rankings and what teams do well. And so that's what, that's really what this podcast is going to be. And where I want to start is maybe the most obvious area, but it's going to start with the Browns offensive line and going up against the Steelers defensive line. Probably two of the, the main strengths, I would say the biggest strengths of these teams. The Browns offensive line, Although they're going to be without Wyatt Teller this weekend, they're going to have former Steeler Chris Hubbard taking his place. So that maybe takes the offensive line down a peg. But still, the Browns, if they don't have the best offensive line in the NFL, it's up there. It's really, really close. But one of the statistics... But one of the statistics to look at that is really important to this matchup is the Browns' offensive line is fifth in pressure percentage allowed. That's uh, from Pro Football Focus. So they are fifth best against allowing pressure, the percentage of pressures that they allow against Baker Mayfield. You can probably already guess on the other side of the ball, uh, the Steelers actually have the best defensive line in the NFL. They are first in the NFL in pressure percentage. So essentially you're getting one of the the top five teams in stopping that defensive line from getting to the quarterback and just pressuring him in general, and you have the defensive line that is best at doing it. Obviously the Steelers are sort of led by Cam Hayward, who it feels like he's been a beast for a very long time. Uh, Stefan Tuitt is on that side of the ball too. You know, they do a lot of... The Steelers rush five a lot, so I was... I've been reading about that, and then I went back and I was actually watching a lot of their games against the Eagles, and the Steelers are really content to rush five. They've got their four down linemen, and they'll mix in a linebacker. Uh, Bud Dupree is a guy they move around on that defensive, like linebacker slash defensive line. They move him around all over the place. He can be the fifth rusher a lot of times. Other times he'll drop back in coverage, and they'll bring somebody back. Obviously, you have T.J. Watt, who... Like at this point in his career is probably like where his brother is in JJ. He's just it as good, if not better than, you know, what JJ is doing, what JJ even did in his prime. So, you know, TJ Watt is another guy that can rush. You can drop TJ into coverage, drop him back into zone and mix up, mix up the looks for Baker. So what the Steelers like to do defensively because they are so confident and have have that confidence in the defensive line that they're going to be able to get to the quarterback, they play a lot of man-to-man defense behind that. Uh, They play a lot of like single high man-to-man defense behind that, and they sort of trust their cornerbacks and Minka Fitzpatrick, who is kind of a hybrid, he'll play all over the place, but he's, you know, listed as a safety, but they trust Joe Hayden, they trust Minka and and all those guys to, to cover and be able to cover for as long as it takes, which has not been very long, for their defensive line to get to the quarterback. So one, the very first thing to look at is going to be that Browns offensive line stopping the Steelers from being able to pressure Baker like they've pressured other quarterbacks. If you're able to sort of do that, then you can really attack the back end of that defense. And early on, I tweeted out this clip, but early on uh, in the game, against the Steelers last weekend. The Eagles ran a play-action pass. The Steelers were in sort of a single high look, again, rushing five guys and playing man on, um, I think, the three receivers that the Eagles had put out wide. 
And Greg Ward was actually able to get way behind the defense as Minka Fitzpatrick sort of tried to jump a crossing route that was going underneath the route that Greg Ward was running. And so then you've just got a corner on an island trying to keep up with Greg Ward, who's, you know, this is a guy that was a quarterback in college and he has sort of transitioned into a receiver. He's playing fairly well, but like this is just a guy who's, yes, he's quick, but just running a really simple route kind of up and over across the middle against the defense and was wide open deep. Now, Carson Wentz missed him, as, you know, Carson Wentz is known to do sometimes. Overthrew him. It probably should have been a touchdown uh, overthrew Gray Ward, and it ended up as an incompletion. But that is the sort of thing that... But that is the sort of thing that can really... Uh, that the Browns, are, I think, are really going to be able to take advantage of if they have enough time sort of in the pocket... Uh, through play action, whatever it may be, for Baker to sort of take some deep shots. And I do think that that is, as we move into the secondary thing here, another thing I mentioned in the intro is this man-to-man defense that the Steelers are playing on the back end. So if the Browns are able to slow down this pass rush, it doesn't necessarily mean that Baker is always going to be needing to get the ball out super-duper quick. I think what Stefanski has shown and the Browns' offense has shown the ability to do is both from a play-action perspective and from some design rollouts and bootlegs, especially out to Baker's left, has been really, really successful and has given Baker a ton of space that they're really going to be able to attack this defense if they're able to sort of mix in a lot of those play-actions and rollouts. And I would expect to see a lot of that because then you feel like Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry are both guys that are going to be able to beat man-to-man coverage. Odell Beckham Jr., not a question. Jarvis, not a question. Both those guys are great at getting open. You know, Jarvis is a guy that kind of a little more shallow can, you know, crossing routes and little out routes and curls and all that, while Odell, you can really have some fun with sending him deep and getting him to kind of take the top off the defense. So I really do think that if the Browns are able to slow down that pass rush, that on the back end, they're going to have the advantage. But again, it's all going to come back to stopping Cam Hayward, TJ Watt, Stefan Tuitt, all those guys, and slowing them down, which is not going to be an easy task, and it's probably not going to be something that's going to be happening on every down. Like I think you have to expect the Steelers are going to get to Baker and hurry Baker and pressure Baker a good amount on Sunday. And I think that's where we talked about last week on this podcast ahead of the game against the Colts, which great win for the Browns especially in that second half when the offense was sort of struggling, as they've sort of done in these situations where they have to protect the lead in the second half. <clears throat> as they've sort of done in a couple of these games where they've had to protect the lead in the second half, two weeks in a row actually against Dallas and then against Indianapolis, where they get a little conservative, they get a little too, I'm going to run the ball on first and second down, And we're going to have a third and long, and we're not going to be able to move the sticks, and back out comes the defense. I thought the Browns' defense actually really showed out in that second half and was able to kind of put the clamps down on the Colts when they needed to, and the offense wasn't really able to uh, run the clock down as much as they would like and get as many first downs as they would like. So that was, um, I think that was really good to see. But, you know, we we talked about on the podcast that putting it on Baker's shoulders to win a game. against the Colts, and you sort of saw what happens when you don't have Nick Chubb for as good as Kareem Hunt is. And as as running back friendly as the fancy scheme is, the Browns really weren't able to run the ball much at all against the Colts, uh, and were still able to come out with a win. In the first half, Baker was really, really good. 
He was crisp with his passes. The offense was humming. He was making good decisions, and you saw the outcome. You know, the Browns got out to a lead. In the second half, Baker sort of reverted back a little bit to the stuff that continues to concern you with him is the the interceptions at really, really tough times. Um, Obviously, on one of the throws, the second interception, he got hit. He got hit really hard, and it uh, ended up causing a bit of a chest and and rib injury, something that he's working through. He's obviously still going to play on Sunday, but... You know, he's been limited in practice for a lot of the week. Some days hasn't practiced. So it's going to, we're going to have to see, you know, how he is throwing the ball on Sunday and how the Browns sort of build a game plan around that injury and how severe that is. But his first interception, it was, was just a classic Baker interception of just not seeing a linebacker in his throwing lane. And this is something that has happened over and over again since last season. His defense is dropping guys back into windows and Baker just straight up not seeing them. And he threw a pick and really the Browns kind of hung on by a thread to beat the Colts, as I said. And it makes, you know, it makes you continue just to be maybe, maybe concerned isn't the word. Like it's not concerned. They're four and one, you know, like there hasn't been a huge concern with Baker not being able to win a game yet. But I, I think when you're going into some of these games with defenses, especially like the Steelers who are able to sort of mix and match and drop guys into covers that you're not expecting to drop back at the snap and you don't know who's rushing. Like, this is going to be hard for Baker. This is going to play directly to his weaknesses, which is thinking there's a lane, not seeing a linebacker or sometimes even a defensive lineman who's dropped back into that window and still throwing the pass anyway. And I think the Steelers are really able to do that well with guys like TJ Watt, with Bud Dupree, with whoever it is that you can drop back and make a play. So, you know, still sort of waiting on Baker to officially win a game, you know, by really just putting the team on his back with his arm. Obviously, You know, he did a lot of that in the first half last week, and the Browns were throwing the ball a lot. But, you know, really the clinching, the thing that clinched in the second half was a run to Dearness Johnson on a a huge third down. And they were able to run out the clock after that. So still sort of waiting, maybe not to win a game, but just a really complete, a full complete game from Baker when he has to throw a lot. And this, again, this could be one of them. uh, You know, Nick Chubb's still out. Steelers... Another, and this kind of transitions nicely into another sort of statistic that is, you know, goes really hard back and forth between these two teams. The Browns are fourth in the NFL in rush uh, DVOA. So I think they're just behind the Los Angeles Rams, who run the ball very well. The Minnesota Vikings, who have a Dalvin Cook, Alexander Madison, one-two nice little punch over there. You saw that last weekend when Dalvin Cook got hurt and had to go out. Madison kind of balled out. And the third team, uh, of course, the Baltimore Ravens. I was going to say I forget, but I don't. It's the Baltimore Ravens who run the ball with Lamar and J.K. Dobbins and and Mark Ingram. And they run it very well. So the Browns are fourth behind those three teams. Like, very elite company to be in. But then you look on the other side of the ball, and not only do the Steelers get to the quarterback with pressures really well, they're also number one in the NFL in rush defense, DVOA. So really, really good. The best in the league against the run. So, again, this is another clash of offensive-defensive line, running the ball against run defense. One side's really good at their offensive side. One side's really good at the defensive side. So, again, like this is why it's so fascinating because these are the type of matchups that you're seeing all over the place on in a, in a myriad of categories. But, like, this is the Browns' strengths are going to be tested really, really hard here against the Steelers. But I think where you feel comfortable now is that you have a head coach that can draw up a game plan 
to take advantage of a de- both a defense and both what the Browns can do well. And I think you've continued to see Kevin Stefanski flourish in that area. And in, in the coming weeks, I'm going to have some conversations with some people about Stefanski and just what he's been able to do to, to this team, but more specifically this offense with his sort of calming and smart and level-headed <laughs> presence. And, and that, those will be fun conversations to have. But that is really, I think, where you feel confident is, like, you know the Browns are going to have a game plan that's going to be smart and on how to attack the Steelers' defense. And while I don't think you're going to see, like, no deep shots whatsoever, I don't think the Browns are going to play scared of this pass rush from the Steelers. And I don't they're not going to go away from the run either. Like, they're going to continue to do the things that they've done well. But I think what they're going to do is maybe speed it up with Baker getting the ball out of his hands a little bit quicker. And this goes in nicely to another stat that I had written down. And this is, again, these matchups. It's kind of crazy how opposite side of the spectrums they are. But this is sort of offense versus offense. But these quarterbacks, it's going to be the matchup of the guy who has had the most time to throw in the NFL, and that is Baker Mayfield. He is averaging 3.19 seconds per throw. And he's facing off against Ben Roethlisberger, who gets the ball out of his hand quicker than anybody in the NFL. Ben is is averaging 2.37 seconds per throw. They're almost like a full second difference, which is huge in the NFL and in the pocket when guys are coming after you. Full second difference between how long each quarterback takes to get rid of the ball. Now, obviously, you need context for these things. Uh, those numbers alone don't really tell the full story. I and it, and it can be hard, a little hard to quantify exactly, you know, what each time is attributed to. But for Baker, I think it is a little easy to see. Like, with Kevin Stefanski and the stuff that he likes to do with his offense, you know, Baker, obviously the play action has worked wonders. You've seen screenshots. I've done some. Other people have done some. Of Baker, after a play action, the space he has around him. The space he has around him. And um, how well the pocket is being protected and also just like, especially when it's sort of a play action bootleg combo where he'll fake the handoff and sort of roll out to his left or right. You'll just see like all the screen grass. Like he just has no one coming at him. And it's been a huge part of why this Browns offense has been so successful and why Baker has been able to hold onto the ball a little longer and really survey his options. Cause he just isn't being, he isn't being rushed. Like we've seen Browns quarterbacks be rushed in the past. Even Baker last year when the offensive line was a disaster. So there's that. There's the play actions. There's the rollouts giving Baker more time. They've been able to take some deep shots. When you have Odell Beckham Jr., you're going to take some deep shots. The Browns have done that. Almost every game, I want to say, they've at least attempted a deep shot. It hasn't been completed, but obviously you've seen whether it's a trick play from Jarvis Landry or whether it was in that game against the Bengals on a play action where Baker hit Odell deep for a touchdown. Like They are taking some deeper shots. Jarvis Landry had a couple of nice 30, 30-ish yard gains against um, against the Colts last week, again off of play action. I think he had one on the Browns' first offensive drive. So uh, that's another reason why you're able to get the ball out or take more time to throw the ball, I should say, because you are going deeper, you're running some deeper routes, and the Browns are taking advantage of the personnel that they have. Now, on the flip side, on the negative side of it, I do think that playing into that number is Baker's tendency to still hold on to the ball a little too long. He still can be a little jumpy in the pocket and roll out and get out of there before he needs to and sort of run around. Uh, he can still kind of pump fake for reasons that are unknown. Like his pump fake seems like the least effective pump fake in the NFL. He's just kind of doing it without knowing where he's actually going to throw the ball. So I think on the negative side, uh, that plays into that number as well. But for the most part, I think it's a good thing that Baker's number is up there. Because for the most part, it means he's just having the time to throw. He's It doesn't mean he's not finding anybody 
open, it doesn't mean that the receivers aren't getting open or that he's always running for his life and holding on to it. It, it, it. In this particular case for Baker in this offense, it's really been because he's been able to have the protection that's allowed him to hold it for that long. Now, with Ben Roethlisberger, that 2.37 seconds has definitely been by design. The Steelers, especially watching them against the Eagles, like they go five wide a ton. They go totally empty uh, with Ben. And, you know, usually in those cases, because you're only able to protect with your five offensive linemen, you're trying to get the ball out a little bit quicker because you know even if one guy is blitzing, uh, that you're going to have to get that ball out super quick because he's going to be unblocked. So a lot the, the Steelers really do play out of empty a lot, and they run sort of these quick crossing routes where Ben's throwing a little wide receiver screen, or he's motioning like you saw this a lot out of Chase Claypool last week. You're motioning Chase Claypool across the formation, and you're just like tossing him a little jet sweep as he goes by, um, or you're faking that to set that up later. It's a ton of what the... Steelers are doing are, are going empty running crossers and just throwing these really quick passes. Like there was a play early on against the Eagles, or I think it was like a third and four. And the Steelers had like this little trips bunch formation off to the right. It was like Eric Ebron and two other, maybe uh, McDonald, their other tight end, and then a wide receiver. And literally the play was just Vance McDonald just like took a couple steps to get in, get in the way of the guy that was defending him. Eric Ebron kind of came behind him and then just immediately turned around and caught the ball. And it was maybe exactly a four yard gain. And that's the type of stuff that they're running on third down. Um, Roethlisberger is not taking deep shots like at all. He's, completed three passes this season that have gone for 20 yards or more. This is something Mina Kimes got into a, some arguments with some Steelers stands on the internet about, which seems like the worst kind of group to get into fights with. But about how, like, Ben's, they're just not really taking shots downfield. It's just not happening. Not only do they not have Antonio Brown, but, like, Juju is not really, like, a deep ball guy. He's more of a... And really, his usage has gone way down. This is coming from somebody who has him on, on their fantasy team and is a little upset about it and maybe like to have a talk with Ben about who he's throwing to. But Juju has sort of fallen behind Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool. Deontay Johnson is injured and not going to play this week, so Juju will probably be more involved. But Chase Claypool really, last week, the Steelers used him in a ton of different ways, and he got four touchdowns, one on the ground, three in the air. But a lot of them were just straight up kind of quick crossing routes or he hit one where he it was kind of a slant over the middle and he was just he just beat the defense he's really really fast for a guy his size and the Steelers are using him in a ton of different ways but like they're just not taking deep shots which I almost feel like works a little bit to the Browns advantage in this game and we'll see you know what the Steelers game plan is coming into this but like both Ronnie Harrison and Carl Joseph are not are officially not going to play. So you are going to have Anderson Deho and Sheldrick Redwine as your two safeties. I really don't even know if Sheldrick Redwine is good or not. He but he's barely played. Obviously, he came up with a huge interception last week. But you know, Justin Gilbert had a pick six during his time as a Brown. So interceptions don't always mean that you're great. Sometimes you just happen to be in the right place at the right time. Like it was a great read. But you know, Sheldrick Redwine. Late round draft pick has not had a ton of playing time. You just, you have no idea how he's going to perform. And then obviously Andrew Sandejo has really, really struggled, um, for this Browns defense. Again, not everything has been his fault, but it's not a coincidence that he's sort of in the picture on every big play by some of the offenses through the passing game this season. So you're going to have, it's, it's, it's getting a little dicey in the back end. Um, 
Obviously, Greedy Williams is still out. Who knows if he's even going to play this season? I think the Browns' cornerbacks between Terrence Mitchell and Denzel Ward, like, have done enough, um, have done enough on that side in the secondary to, they've sort of held their own, but once you get to the safety play and trying to shut things down over the middle and in various coverages, it's, it's been sort of a disaster. And so if the Steelers don't take a ton of deep shots against the Browns, I really do think that will work a little bit to their advantage. It's going to be up to, you know, the linebackers too to take away some of these crossers and some of these stay with some of these receivers when the Steelers are going five wide. And so from Mac Wilson, to Taki Taki, uh, to BJ Goodson, like it's going to be a real test for them, I think, in, in taking away what the Steelers do well. And you know, the Browns linebackers, I don't know if they've been necessarily tested, sort of like the Steelers are probably going to test them with this offense. So just so many fascinating mashups, 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 whatever you want to call it. They're just, it's all of this is so interesting to me, and it's going to be really, really fun, I think, to see how all of this plays out. And which things the teams are good at is gonna, is gonna win out. Like, which one is gonna matter more? Is it gonna be the rush defense? Is it gonna be the ability for the Steelers to pressure with four and five guys? Or is it gonna be the Browns' ability to still run the ball against a good defensive front? Or Baker's ability to complete some deep balls? Or like, can Miles Garrett get to Ben Roethlisberger before 2.3 second, 2.37 seconds is, is up? Like, can he make Ben even throw it quicker? Because the one thing, and especially you saw this in the Eagles game, and I think you've seen this all year, Ben is no longer the Ben Roethlisberger who, when he started moving out, when he had to move outside of the pocket, even though it looked like he was moving in slow motion, um, it he doesn't scare you anymore. He used to. Like, he used to be able to throw bombs when he was moving on the run um, and outside of the pocket. And he was throwing balls to Antonio Brown and Juju and whoever else, and Emmanuel Sanders in his day and all of that. And you would just be terrified because you couldn't bring him down and he was also throwing pinpoint passes. That that does not appear to be the Ben Roethlisberger that we're seeing in 2020. Uh, the Eagles, a lot of times when they were able to make him force, force him out of the pocket, there were incomplete passes, there was near interceptions. It doesn't look like Ben is comfortable or has the ability to really be that guy that was that mobile and that accurate on, on the move anymore. And so Miles Garrett, Olivier Vernon, if Larry Ogunjobi is back making some pressure up the middle, like that's going to be another thing. Make Ben hold onto the ball, make him move out of the pocket because it's it's not the Ben Roethlisberger of old anymore, and that is going to be how the defensive line I think is going to win and 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 hold the Steelers from doing what the, what has worked so well with their offense so far is just these short routes and letting their very talented and skilled wide receivers sort of take over from there. Final thing to get to in this podcast is once again, we'll, we'll sort of end on Baker Mayfield. I think this is a really huge game for him on the road in Pittsburgh. If he can make some plays, especially late in the fourth quarter. I think we've all sort of seen a statistic that has come out, and it's Baker's QBR by quarter. He's pretty good. He's He's been phenomenal in the first half. His QBR in the first quarter, 77.3. His QBR in the second quarter, by far his best, 91.5. Really, really good in the first and second quarter. Third quarter, that drops down to 51.9. Fourth quarter, it's sitting at 7.4, which is sort of mind-blowing. But he has just really had some abysmal fourth quarters. Now, not all of this is his fault. Um, passes have been dropped. Jarvis Landry obviously had a couple of big drops later in the game against the Colts that were somewhat surprising that, that hurt. One of them sort of led directly to an interception. So, you know, that QBR probably isn't as bad as it seems, that 7.4 
would resemble, but it does speak to Baker's struggles late in games. And when, especially when the Browns just need him to make a couple of plays to help run out the clock, like you just can't rely on handing the ball off over and over again when the, when the other team knows that you're handing it off. Like you have to be able to throw, um, to get a first down here and there. And Baker just in the fourth quarter, and you saw it last week, just has not been able to do it. So that number's got to go way up, and this is going to be the week to do it. Like, of course it's going to come to come down to whether the Browns are, like, protecting a seven-point lead or they're down by a field goal late in the fourth or whatever it may be. Like, it feels like there's a 100% chance that it's going to come down to Baker Mayfield having to make a play later in that game. And you have the weapons to do it. You hopefully have the time to do it, like, with that offensive line. Uh, despite the Steelers' front being really, really vicious and really, really formidable. And what better way to win in Pittsburgh? What better way to take a hold of this division and really then just take what is the easiest schedule left in the NFL, the Browns have it, and just ride that wave and, and get to your first playoff appearance since 2002? Like, this is it. This is what he has to do. And I have I don't think that he can't. I know sometimes people think on Twitter, like, I'm too harsh on Baker Mayfield. I just, like, when somebody has the talent that you see Baker Mayfield has, and I really think he is a talented, talented dude, um, you just want to see it when it matters late, and he just hasn't been able to put together a full four quarters of football yet. And this is in Heinz Field against the yellow and black, like, let's go do it. And it would be a humongous win. And I will parade around Los Angeles in my brown shirt if it happens. I will, um, any terrible towels that I see, because I'm sure they're out here, I will take them um, and I will stuff them into gutters and sewers around the Los Angeles area. I will do it. So, Baker, make it happen. Huge game. Can't wait to watch it. It's going to be a ton of fun on Sunday. I hope all of you have um, fun places to go to watch it. Obviously, inside your homes like don't go to bars obviously don't go to bars you can sit on a patio i guess but like with people that you love watch the game hopefully the browns win and we are we're well on our way like five and one browns top afc north i sometimes it feels surreal but this team has a legitimate shot to do it thank you so much for listening brown steelers sunday 1 p.m eastern 10 a.m pacific i'm waking up drinking coffee i'm watching the game go browns i will talk to you guys next week